Hi, I'm Judith Dreyer. Thank you for joining me for this podcast series, The Holistic Nature of Us. I invite you to journey with me into a better understanding of the concepts behind our holistic nature and how that ties us directly to the natural world around us. My intention is to be your guide for this half hour as we begin seeing our world with fresh eyes, gaining more understanding, and learning how we can connect the dots in practical ways that we are nature and nature's in us. I feature a broad range of guests deeply concerned about the environmental issues of our time and more, authors and educators, practitioners and others whose passion for this earth and for all species help us create sustainable bridges of understanding. These folks are innovators, action-oriented, creating solutions in a variety of ways that honors us and the planet's holistic nature. I am honored to share their stories, their projects, and their passions with all of you. And today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Grandmother Nancy Andre. Grandmother Nancy is of Algonquin and French heritage and has followed the Red Road since childhood. She's a well-known storyteller, sharing legends from many different nations in schools, health facilities, and the powwow circuit. She was a staff member of the Joined Nations of Connecticut, a youth organization for those of Native heritage. She has given talks in Calgary, Canada, St. Croix, Virgin Islands, and at various centers in New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. She has also owned and operated an equestrian business until retirement and now incorporates horse medicine in some of her lectures about Native culture. Good morning, Grandmother. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the reason I invited uh, Grandmother Nancy here is that I had the wonderful synchronistic opportunity uh, to find and to hear the Algonquin water song. And the water song expresses gratitude for the water, and it raises our consciousness and connection for women in particular with Mother Nature's greatest gift. So, Grandmother, can you tell us more about your journey and about how important water is and especially for women today? Well, traditionally in the Algonquin culture, men are the keepers of fire and women are the keepers of water. And, you know, we are all um, dependent on water. Our own bodies are mostly water. When we're coming into this world, our mother breaks her water. Without water, there is no life. And so the Algonquin women, the Native women in general, all indigenous women all over the world, have usually been the ones who were the caretakers of the water. And in these indigenous traditions, prayer is a very... It's simply a part of daily life. And so this water song was sung to the waters by the Algonquin Nation women. And in 2004, at a gathering at Kitsiganzibi uh, Reserve uh, near Manawaki, Canada, the reserve of Grandfather William Commander, who was keeper of the Seven Fire Prophecies Belt, the Jay Treaty Belt, and the Friendship Belt, of the Algonquin Nations people, the grandmothers decided 
to release this song to women who had come from literally all over the world. I know personally I was one of the grandmothers on the beach when the song was taught, and 17 different countries were represented. And our instructions were to take that song out because we knew that the waters were in horrendous troubles and the the gathering that year the emphasis was on water and Dr. Emoto had come from Japan and so for 16 or more years I've been doing that everywhere I traveled um, St. Croix um, Albuquerque, New Mexico we gathered groups of women to teach and sing the water song because prayer is powerful people seem to forget especially when prayers come in numbers and this is a prayer to the water um taught to me by one of my most wonderful mentors louise wawate um wawati in algonquin means northern lights and uh i i started going to canada to um learn from her in 1999 and to the gatherings that Grandfather commanded until his death. But with the urgency of what is happening with the fracking, with the oil and gas industry, we are just seeing more and more destruction of our waters. And once it's gone, you can't restore an aquifer. You simply can't. We're seeing water being sold and privatized. The Creator gave everyone that water free for nothing. And so my prayer was, how do I reach more women? Please, Creator, let me reach more women. And we have, um, we have some women's circles, one here in Connecticut and one down in New York City. And we had had a gathering where the two circles were joined together. And we had actually gone over to Wolf Lake in February in the snow to pray for the water. And when we came back to have a feast, everyone was saying, how can we get this song to more people? And unbeknownst to me, because we never discussed it a whole lot, I knew I had a friend who was a well-known producer, filmmaker. Uh, Way back, she worked with Mike Nichols. And she said, somebody said, we need to make a video. And I'm like, oh, don't know how the elders would feel about that. And I think that, you know, with some degree, there may be people, but the urgency, uh, nobody's making a profit. It actually cost us uh, an inordinate amount of money to rent the sophisticated equipment and sound stuff that we needed. And the women in film in New York, some of their best people aligned themselves with us. Um, our, our other um, director, Nicole Bellincourt, did amazing job. And we prayed to gather women from the four directions, which it was like miraculous. I mean, I was praying, putting tobacco down every day and setting, you know, let women come from all four continents and miraculously that happened when you watch the video you'll see june san who's done all the walks across america who's done all the fukushima walks she's a buddhist nun who came here 
in from Japan and was instructed to work with Native American people. Uh, she's a very shy person. She usually doesn't like being in the limelight. We had this absolutely beautiful woman show up from Nigeria at the last minute. We had all ages from my beautiful Lenny Lenape little girls who are only 10 up to myself, who is, is I'm, uh, I'll be 82 this month. Um, so we had all women from all four directions. We had every age group possible and made the film and prayed that the women of the world would be able to view this little short film, which is not the ceremony. It's to teach the words of the song. I I wouldn't take that step to actually record the ceremonies, although there have been many uh, water ceremonies recorded. And last year when I was at the Center for Earth Ethics, which is Karina and uh, Karina Gore's organization, um, we decided to preview the, the video there. And Grandmother Josephine Manderman was there for four days. I had the honor to have a daily interaction with her, and I was looking to see this venerable, venerable elder's reaction to to the video, which is short. It's not a long video. And I was so happy to see a beaming face and receive a big hug. So our only intent with this video is to get that song out for the women to pray every day for the water and to see that when this happens, there are actually healings, not only for the water, but for the women themselves who sing this song every day. It's, you know, it's magical, and it's almost hard to explain it because we are living in an era where we no longer believe in magical powers, and they're out there. They've always been out there. Our ancestors have always been out there watching and helping us. And, you know, when you consider that everywhere from everyone from everywhere has at one point in their life's history been part of a tribe, you know, um, unfortunately in Europe, those indigenous tribal ways were smashed out by conquerors and by the church. And so it's been hard to keep, like, the Celtic traditions, the Nordic traditions, although some of them were under the ground and some of them are coming back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is such a beautiful story that you shared. I know when I saw the film for the first time, the Algonquin Water Song, I was moved to tears as a woman you know, walking this earth and, and doing my part in whatever way I can. One of my elders years ago reminded us every time we met with her to pray for the water, the, for the women to pray for the water. And we know that we have not taken good care of the water. We actually steal the water from communities. Um, mm -hmm. You said privatize it. And the, there's a, a feeling amongst us that, we need to take action today. Today is the only time that we have. So what can we do today? So I like your, your, your suggestion and your call to us women 
to say and sing this song every day for the water. So that is um, something I feel an urgency about so that we can help this planet in some way. And you're right. There, it's a beautiful, mystical, magical place that we live in. And we've become anesthetized in some ways uh, to, exactly. that, to that beauty. And songs like this uh, challenge and open our hearts a little differently. And uh, I'm so happy for your story because I think when we're doing something that that has that higher intent, the universe supports us. And look Absolutely. at what happened to you. You know, the, the words to the song literally mean water is the lifeblood of Mother Earth. Water is the lifeblood of our own body. And what this, what this song and what so many... Um, Activists, I mean environmental activists. Uh, it's a call to sacred activism, really. And, you know, people say, oh, I'm just one person, I can't do anything. That's not true, because if every one person did something, it, it would be so amazing. We're seeing that particularly with the youth with the Youth March, with this young girl from Sweden um, who is up for a Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize. And, you know, what we need to fight is the privatization of water. Uh, I, I refuse to buy water in a bottle. I'm very fortunate that I have good drinking water here in my house, and I understand that some people don't and have no choice but to buy bottled water. But can you imagine, I, I think a bottle of water probably costs a dollar twenty-five, a dollar fifty. I don't know because I don't buy it. Imagine if that bottle of water was $20 or $30, because if, if the supply is dwindling and it won't be accessible, can you imagine the loss of human life? We've already seen it with, with animal species when, when dolphins are washing up on the shores of France and what have you. So how can we do this? Well, first of all, ladies out there, please sing the water song. Teach it to your daughters, to your daughter's friends, because it's we're stealing from our children. Every time we destroy another piece of Mother Earth, we're stealing from our children. There are species of animals, birds, plants, that our grandchildren will never see because they're gone. They're simply gone, and it has to stop. The madness has to stop. And we do have to turn to different alternative, uh, get away from fossil fuels, wind power, solar power. There are so many other options out there, but you see the 1% money-making, greedy people, they're so short-sighted. Don't they understand that when the water's gone, their money won't buy them the water either? I mean, it's it's... You wonder where their heads are sometimes. Don't well, they understand they're stealing from their grandchildren? You know, right. And, that, and, Grandmother, that's a teaching that we don't give our children. Everything we do affects the next seven generations. My elders told me this all the time. And if we could put that principle into product development, into business design, 
we'd have a different world. We would absolutely have a different world. It would be a more wonderful world. Mm-hmm. One of my pet peeves is that we don't put our children out in the grass. Everybody's afraid of ticks and, oh, my God, that, that, you know, the raccoons might have rabies, which my vet tells me is highly, you know, over over said. I mean, yes, we should have our rabies vaccine for our pets and so forth, but it's highly exaggerated. And, you know, I really think I remember growing up, you know, I was outside all the time. There was no such thing as sitting in the house. And, of course, we didn't have the electronics then. But my cousins and I, we were out in the snow, in the rain, and we were quite healthy, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. We need to get our children's feet back on the Mother Earth. That's why they're becoming more and more detached. That's why we're seeing um, so much difficulties with a, a portion of the young people. I mean, I live right next door to Sandy Hook, so need I say more? Um, the thing is that it's too easy to say, oh, here's $20, go to the mall, rather than let's pick up, pack up the car and have a picnic. You know, maybe this is my only day off, but let's spend it having a family picnic or going to a nature preserve or going somewhere where we can learn about the animals and the plants and the birds. Um, We're in a rush, rush society, and we need to back it down. And, yes, it's difficult for families to live now without two incomes, but are we... Are we locked into too many possession, you know, possessions and things that we really could live without if if we needed to? I mean, we all like our our comforts, and you know, I travel to reserves, um, my what I call my home communities, even though I wasn't raised in them, where there's still in places no plumbing, no electric, and you know what? My relatives are always laughing. Their children are always laughing, despite the poverty that the dominant world feels they have, and they do. I mean, they struggle. And when deforesting and um, fracking and what have you has destroyed the habitat, we're, we're destroying their food chain, their way to exist. I mean, it's hellacious. It's... I saw a video the other day of a young man from uh, Grassy Narrows, which is a far northern community in Canada, and because they eat the fish, the fish are full of mercury. The young people are developing learning disabilities and so forth because of what they, they have to eat. That's their source of food. So this is how drastic it is, and I think... Here in Connecticut, where we live so nicely, most of us are, you know, um, we don't really think about these things. We go to the grocery store and, you know, if we can afford it, we buy organic food. Um, Not everybody can afford to buy organic food. And we're seeing more and more co-ops. I'd like to see more and more gardens. I remember growing up that my grandmother always had a garden and she didn't have a huge piece of land. We've got to turn back to respecting the land. And this is really, 
you know, I blame the infected ticks on all the pesticides that have been put into the ground that have now leached into the groundwater. This is this is a serious situation, and, you know, people are climate change deniers and what have you. How can you look at the weather patterns and do that anymore? It's absurd. Mm. It is, and, you know... What I've learned by doing this podcast series that is that there's tremendous in, innovation happening out there, but it's happening one garden at a time, one farm at a time, one idea at a time. So I feel hopeful for that, but I also feel the urgency from what you're saying. We've, we've screwed up, and we need to buckle up and admit our mistakes, um, and, and get on with creating the solutions. And nature has the solutions, and that's the amazing part to me. If we just take a, a, a portion of our lawn and turn it into some kind of wildflower uh, natural landscape, they will come. The, the critters will come. They will be supported. We'll increase diversity. That's something we can do this spring. Everybody can Everybody, look at their yard. Even if you just do, um, you know, flower pot, large um, receptacles and plant, bee-friendly plants in them. I, I told my friend the other day when it's planting season, uh, I believe our local um, feed and grain store has a whole section that they've actually labeled bee-friendly flowers and plants. Everyone could do that because our our bees are so endangered, and people don't really realize how how detrimental that is. So you know, I'm not much of a gardener. I'm sorry to say, I'm I'm really good with animals. I'm, I I don't have my grandmother's wonderful ability to take something half dead and make it come back to life. But I certainly can make a little bit of an effort, and I can go in the back of my house where there's some you know sun all the day. The front's kind of shady, and plant bee friendly things. And I have every intention of doing that. And you know. I, I meet with a lot of women who live in city environments, and I go try and put out a flower box. Or if you're living in an apartment, try and grow something that helps the air. Um, I don't want any excuses. It's just like the water song. I've, I've had women say, oh, I don't have time. And I go, excuse me, do you take a shower in the morning? There's no law that says you can't. Is it more beautiful when there's a, a group of women gathered at a stream or a lake or a river? Um, but if the only way you can do it is to turn around in the shower and sing the water song as you turn around to the four directions in the shower or while you're doing your dishes or bathing your baby in the sink, do it. Just do it. I don't want to hear. There's no excuses for not doing it as far as I'm concerned. My elders would, like, just frown at that and be very, very... Aggravated, they wouldn't say anything. They'd put their shawl up around their shoulder and turn their back, which is like, uh oh, you're in trouble now. But um, it, every single person can have an effect, and when that happens, we can change the world. 
see it happening in front of our eyes, but more importantly, we can change it for our children and our grandchildren and their grandchildren. As you say, we always think seven generations ahead. That's the, the indigenous perspective, especially here on North America, which we, of course, call the Turtle Island. And if anybody wants to know about that, Watch on YouTube Jacob Wawadi's Turtle Island teachings, which are in two parts. I highly recommend it. He he explains a lot. And, you know, I get very aggravated with um, the stereotyping and what have you that Native people have had. I did not grow up on a reservation. I grew up outside a major city, and I had to seek very, very hard, very diligently to learn from the elders and to honor my small amount of Native heritage, which, you know, if you look at me, I'm albino. <laughs> they say, what, what's she, what's she going to try and tell us? This is the whitest white woman we have ever seen in our lives. But in my communities at home in Canada, um, you know, you don't make yourself an elder. That's a decision made by the elder elders. And there's a huge difference in elders and olders because we're all going to get older. That's just a fact of life. Um, elder implies that you have some knowledge of the ceremonies, the songs, the legends, the teachings. I have the great honor. Um, my first two teachers were Lakota. And I have a, a pretty nice base there. Uh, do I know everything? Oh, my goodness, I don't know everything about anything. And then, of course, for the last um, seven years, I've been going into Canada and attending the t traditional Medewin lodges, the teaching lodges of the Algonquin Nation, which, you know, actually existed down here in Connecticut before the colonizers came. Hmm. So there was actually a center here in Connecticut? Well, I don't, I don't know that because so much has been lost because of the residential schools and the broken treaties. But certainly there were Algonquin people here and there are Algonquin or Abenaki and Wabanaki elders. You know, that's all part of an Algonquin chain. Then mm -hmm. further south you had the Lene Lenape people. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and sadly, most people don't look up the history of the natives who were in their area, and it's it's quite interesting. I encourage people to please do that. You know, really learn something about what existed here prior to the great sailing ships coming. And, you know, I have a foot in both worlds because some of my ancestors came on those big sailing ships, and some were here, you know, and um, the French particularly married into indigenous culture, as did many African freed people, um, especially along the shoreline here where many of the native men were taken to be slaves in the West Indies, and that's not a widely known fact. So, you know, our history books do not tell the truth. No, I hear you. I'm here for, you know, that... Think about this. Native people couldn't practice their spiritual things until the American Indian Religious Freedom Act of 1978. If you mm -hmm. don't believe me, folks, Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I love some of the points that you made here um, in terms of what an elder or an older is. I, I, I did some geriatric nursing, so I, I really get that part. Um, and that's part of the teaching of the wheel, too, is is what does it mean to be to be an elder? And you give us great examples, and you embody that. You know, you share the teachings. Um, you've walked farther down the road than some of us have, and and you share that. And I'm I'm grateful to you for doing that too. I would well, like you know, to Frank Fulso, probably one of the greatest medicine people of our era, and this is a direct quote from Frank Fulscrow, and he said, this is for everyone who will respect it, but please, you know, that word respect is multifaceted, you know, um, a lot of people are what my native brothers and sisters call wannabes, you know, they'll, they'll dress and what have you and disrespect people's regalia, um, but these principles are for everyone. And and do any of us ever say, oh, you have to do it our way, it's the only way? We never say that. What we say is come learn our ways, respect our ways, and if you're living from your heart, uh, we'll respect your ways as well. You know, the the most difficult journey that any of us humans make is from our head, because our society is so in the head, is from the head to the heart. That's the longest journey we human beings are going to make in our lifetime. And this life that we're living, in my people's view of it, is this is just the classroom. Because mm -hmm. we still believe that when our ancestors leave here, they're still working and they still hear those prayers that we put down every day. And that's what you were talking about. The universe will assist us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people don't look at everything as a living thing. Our perspective is everything has a, a spirit the water has a spirit, it has memory, we know that. I mean, there's scientific studies that have been able to show that. Uh, plants hear us. You know, people say, oh, look at that crazy person, she's talking to the plants. Well, they're living things, oh my goodness, you know. The animals, certainly, I know that with uh, my many years of experience with horses and handicapped children, um, the, the difference that it makes that horses can help cure post-traumatic stress disorder, and there are many programs out there that are helping to do that. So we have all the tools here. We're just not using the tools as well as we should be. Well, again, if we go back to nature, nature's been here a lot longer than we have. Uh, Janine Benya says, you know, nature's been doing its uh, research and development for like almost three to four billion years. And we're a very small species in that whole system. And we need to step up to the plate and be more humble about working with nature. And the answers are there if we take the time to look for them. And I think that's uh, the, the beauty of the water song. The water song has us say a prayer in honor of the water and let's see what happens to us individually as we do that practice. You know, I that's can tell you that there will be a change. I, we've had 
so many communiques from uh, women all over my wonderful sister, friend, person who made this video happen, Victoria Cummings. Um, we, you know, she gets communiques, and I, I just have to say to all you ladies out there, please do it. You you won't find out till you do it. That's true. That's true. And it's the experience of it that grounds it within our being, that makes it come alive within us. It's one thing to hear about things, and we know that from going to workshops, whatever, but you have to take the teachings in, and you have to live them. And so your words are wise to the women today for the water song. You know, and that's where we become sacred activists, really, and, you know, it, yes, it involves, I'm not a political person, except now we don't have a choice. We really, truly have a choice. But, you know, that's it. Don't, don't sit at home on voting day, because if you don't vote and you complain about everything, you have no right to. If you vote and it's not going, you know, the way you'd like to see it, it go, take take 10 minutes a day to find out what's going on in the world around you. And you, you'll get frustrated. I get frustrated, but I don't think I've, I've ever, yeah, I may have missed one vote when I was really sick, but I get myself, even when I'm not sometimes thrilled with the choices, but making a choice is better than making no choice. And there again, that's part of sacred activism is using the right you have to go and have a voice in what our government is doing. It's your government. It's not, you know, it, it should not be run by the 1%. Right, right. Well, Grandmother, this has been a, a beautiful discussion. Um, you've given us some great things to do. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we end? No, I just want to thank the women who do take this song to heart and sing it. And, you know, of course, I want to thank you for giving me a voice. I'm just a little aunt of a grandmother. I'm crawling along. But if you watch an ant carrying a leaf three times its size back to its community, and community building is really what's important here, the, especially the women gathering together, um, you know, our grandmothers had quilting bees and what have you. We, we Native people, we love our talking circles because when you feel secure enough, you know, things that bother you will come out. I just want to say, and to you beautiful men out there, don't, I'm not putting the men down. We have amazing, wonderful men doing good work for the environment. Al Gore, one of my favorite people. Um, you know, who are out there on a daily basis trying to change things, trying to bring uh, alternative things like solar power and wind power to the surface, um, planting gardens. I mean, let's not dishonor our wonderful men as well because, you know, that's what gives balance. And so I think if I left... A thought for everyone today, it's walk in balance and beauty 
appreciating everything that's around you because even on your worst day, the sun will rise tomorrow and you have hopes and dreams for a better day. So I thank you very much for listening to this old grandma. Um, share the things. My instructions from my peers are to take it out and share it. And people who don't want to do that, they're very small-minded and they're not thinking of the good of Mother Earth. So um, I think what you do raising these issues with your podcast is wonderful, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. Mm. You're more than welcome. All I can say is that, you know, um, to my listeners, I'm truly honored and more than delighted to have Grandmother with us today. I hope you are also inspired by her message. So this is Judith Dreyer. I'm the author of At the Garden's Gate, book and blog. You can find my book on my website and Amazon and other distribution arms. There will be a transcript of the podcast. And remember to please share them. Let's get the word out and let's support each other. And remember, now is the time for practical action and profound interchange so our world can be valued once again. Enjoy your day. Maybe wobble and again. I'll keep me squeak. Maybe wobble.